Hello! Welcome to Free Will, Science, and Religion. I'm Chandler Klebs. I'm here with George Ortega, Mitch J, David Joseph, Michael Walsh, WSD Time, and Quaid. And we're going to be talking a little bit about the word choice and, you know, what people mean when they uh, use the word choice. And it was Mitch who suggested the topic, um, and I have many opinions on, on the word choice, too, but... Uh, Mitch, did you have any introductory remarks about this topic? So I would say that uh, many free will believers, when probed about why they believe in free will, they'll, they will oftentimes comment by saying things such as, well, despite everything you've just said, that is, everything, the, all the evidence or the logical argumentation the free will skeptic has given the free will believer, they'll say, despite all this, I still make choices. I still make decisions. But when we really investigate what a choice is, we realize how vacuous of a concept it is. Now, a choice is only called a choice because we don't know the outcome. If a person walks into an ice cream store and seem to be several different flavors of ice cream, and I don't know ahead of time what flavor of ice cream that person is going to order, I say the person is choosing. When that person doesn't immediately have a thought about which flavor of ice cream that person wants, the person says he has made a choice. In actuality, there is no choice. In actuality, eventually you have a thought, I want vanilla ice cream, and you buy vanilla ice cream. You might have competing thoughts, but ultimately, of course, as we all know, the strongest thought what exactly is a choice? What do you guys think? Well, Mitch, I, I'm a fully agreed there because I really do think that a person has to not know the outcome of something and, and, not, and have the other person's mind seem mysterious to even say they made a choice. Because if we, if we knew all the prior causes, we would know the outcome and we'd know the person has no choice. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think it's just a, it's a word of the subjective. It's a, it's a word that you use because your subjective experience is very limited. Uh, and so, you know, you can, like a lot of people don't want to consider animals have free will, but if you put a red ball and a blue ball uh, in front of a dog, the dog will quote unquote choose one. It's, you know, it doesn't mean that, you know, the data won't converge on it on um, an action, which is what happens, you know, all the information eventually converges. Basically, like you were saying with the choice, you have a will and your will wins in all circumstances. Your will, you know, even if you don't, even if you're really conflicted about choosing something, your will is the thing that motivates that choice. But when you don't understand why uh, all the, when you don't understand all the intricacies that go behind the events, you say that there's choice involved. Yeah, I think it's very powerful because, I mean, the word choice it is a little bit problematic. Like, and here's another example. Let's say we use gravity. Let's see you, you, you see a person um, is falling from a height. And, we, I mean, we all know that if they, if, that if they, fall, if they fall on the pavement, they're going to die, you know. And so we don't say, well, this person has a choice whether they're going to fall. Because, because that's an obvious situation. We, we know how gravity works, and we know that person has no, no way of turning off gravity. 
Um, but see, here's that's the thing. But at at the same time, um, like let's say that our, our prediction is wrong because some helicopter or Superman or somebody else um, stops them from hitting the ground. Well, we don't say that person made a choice. Rather, another cause that came came along and caused a different outcome. But it's always an external agency that changes a person's mind, even about the ice cream thing as well. Yeah. But guys, I agree with you, you know, but, you know, we have to actually be very clear by what we mean by choice. And the example that I would bring out to, 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 um, to explain this more, more fully is, for example, the word random has two meanings. One is like, you know, pick a card out at random. And that's kind of like, it's not a technical fundamental meaning. It's like pick a card out without thinking about it. And then there's the more literal or technical meaning of random as uncaused. So like, yeah, with choice, yes, absolutely. There's no such thing as fundamental choice, but we use it kind of like as a matter of speech, you know, choose between what kind of dessert you want or choose between something. So um, it's not our choice. We can't even ascribe this choice to anything because of the infinite uh, eternal regress, but it's just a different um, usage of the word. Now, having said that, I think eventually we may want to evolve as a civilization to where we are more precise, where, where we don't have words as important as choice that have more than one meaning. So when you get rid of, because uh, I'm thinking about the practicality of that, I mean, basically choice would go away when you understand all the components that go into events uh, that of people, acted by people or by actors. Uh, but or that sounds can, uh, like the, I'm sorry, what were we going to say, Mitch? Or you can keep the word choice, but throw away the word free will. That's the real idea. So yeah, you, yeah. So you can use the word choice as long you don't have the term free will. The problem is having free will and choice and then conflating these ideas and not really understanding what's being said. As we all remarked earlier, and Chandler you know, especially agreed with this, a choice is really a statement about the observer. It's about a person observing another person and not knowing an outcome. Yeah. I, there's an example of this, guys, that I can bring up. People do conflate those two. And like, okay, there was this Christian trying to convert me a, a while back. And I was explaining, well, people don't really have free will. Prior causes determine what they even want to do. And so she she will quote scriptures in the Bible that say that people made a choice. It has the word choice or choose in the Bible, and therefore people have free will. So what she's saying is that a someone making a choice or choosing is the equivalent of free will, and so for many people, they are the same thing. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, I just, I also wanted to say though. So I, I agree with Mitch in that. Really, at least my goal at this point in this stage of my life is to get rid of the word free will and not the word choice. Uh, but I think what George was saying was that eventually. We might find as we might progress as a society where choice also becomes a word we don't need. But when I think about that, uh, really, I, I agree with the idea that choice is a word of ignorance. I don't understand all the components that go into uh, an actor causing an event, and so I say he has a choice because it's really random in some way to me. But when you get to the point where choice is no longer needed, 
I think maybe you've hit like the singularity because you understand every component of the universe, which all culminate into actions. Right, but again, like let's say there are two free will disbelievers talking to each other, right? And one says to the other, um, you know, do you want to go to the movies or do you want to go out to dinner? So, you know, this is kind of like that's the concept of choice. And we're always going to do that. We're always going to do that. But like, I guess like, you know, perhaps eventually the, the, the free will concept will have been so refuted that everybody knows exactly what is meant by that. You know, like, in other words, what is meant is like, what, what do you believe the, the universe is going to like have happen? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think we can do that, George. The example about asking somebody whether whether they want to go to the movies or which movie they want to go to, all you're doing there is asking them a question saying, oh, well, I don't know your particular desire of this case, so tell me what you want, and we can do that. So what's great is that you didn't even have to use the word choice, and yet the, the you communicated effectively. Right, um, and actually, so it goes beyond choice. In other words, desire, because, like, these aren't our desires. So, like, you know, there's probably a whole constellation of words that we attribute to us that fall, fall within the category of choice that we'd have to re-understand. Yeah, and I agree. And see, I've tried to think about, is there a synonym for choice um, that makes sense? Like, like, if we, like I've tried to replace um, choice with desire, but we don't say someone makes a desire. You know, we don't say someone makes a will unless they're planning for their death and what their, who their stuff goes to, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> so, it's yeah, it's hard to find a word for choice that means the same thing. Or just to ask them what their will is. What is your will? Like, yeah, what's what? your will? What do you yeah. yeah, Yeah, that's good. And actually, so, Quaid, in this instance, how are you defining will? Uh, will is the... Um, prime motivator in an action of a thought so like to break it down like uh if my will is for my own life to be preserved which it is at this point um and my will is that another person doesn't get hurt uh but someone holds a gun to my head and they say either you kill that person or you die it's also my will my wills are in conflict at that point and so whichever will is stronger is the one that ends up winning. So you can have conflicting wills, but I guess it's just to like cut through all the stuff. To say what is your will is to say what is your strongest will. Which will are you going to, which will is going to be enacted, which is generally just the strongest will that you yeah. have. But we, if we can extend that further. In other words, like most technically, it's not even our will. It's the will of this causal chain that causes us to, to have this strongest motivation. Well, I think we can revisit the topic uh, like in the previous podcast. We talked about Quaid's hair. We still call it Quaid's hair, even though, yeah, sure, it's not up to him. You know, <laughs> we still have the desires. It's just that they're. I get what you're saying, though, George. Yeah, I, I would say though that, like, as far as we know, the universe cannot have a will. So to say that it's not, you know, it's the will of the universe that I do this thing is to to misunderstand that will is as far as we understand it, a component that belongs to humans. And so when I say that I'm motivated by will, it is, it's, it's my will. It doesn't, again, it doesn't have to be attached to the idea of freedom. I'm not, it's not free will. It's very restricted by 
laws of nature, but it's like saying, what's the arm of the universe? Like, universes don't have arms. Like, allow, it's me to, allow me to help you a little bit here. Your will is just what you want to do. That's it. Yeah. You don't control it. It's just what you want. You might not know why. In fact, you certainly don't know why you want what you want. Your will is just what you want. Like, I know I do not want strawberry ice cream. That's my will. I I do not want that. I know what I want sometimes. That's exactly why and I what want I don't strawberry want. ice cream. <laughs> I know what I want and what I don't want sometimes. But I never know why. And even if I think I know why, I don't really know why. I just have a sort of local explanation. There's always a deeper explanation behind that explanation. Yeah, and, that's uh, fair. Yes. And, and wanting things is a result of having a developed, sufficiently complex brain. This is the kind of want we're talking about. Yeah, and so it applies to other animals as well, not just humans, clearly. I, I just want to reiterate this very surreal aspect of our reality, you know, relative to choice, that even if we posit, you know, a conscious, intelligent universe, even then we couldn't most technically assign choice to the universe because of this eternal regress. Because in other words, like if time goes back eternally into the past, we never reach a point at which any choice is ever made. Right. But yeah, so I don't have a will to it. Yeah, and so that's yeah, true, George. I mean, you would either have to attribute to the infinite regress or eternity or to do the practical thing and attribute it to the person, even though we, we all know better. <laughs> Hey, George, yeah. here, here's, here's a way of saying it. Things aren't chosen. Things are determined. And this idea of choice, as you so aptly are revealing, it sort of opposes determinism. It's saying somehow that instead of things happening because of the things that make them happening, somehow erroneously and paradoxically, there's this endless cycle of choices and choosers that makes things happen you know so it really doesn't make any sense it's so you're right in that sense it, it's how, how can we talk about a choice that that wording just isn't necessary if we understand things are determined things happen because of what makes things happen or things just happen for no reason but things are never truly chosen things just it's just that sometimes we don't know outcomes so we perceive different possible paths. We say, well, I can imagine a reality where this happens. The person chooses chocolate. I imagine a reality, I should say orders, excuse me. I can imagine a reality where the person orders chocolate. I can imagine a reality where the person orders vanilla ice cream. And due to this lack of information and due to the fact that they both seem like reasonable realities, I go, this is a choice, right? But it's not. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, another point is that the word choice is often combined with the belief in could have done otherwise. Have you ever, have you ever heard that someone say, oh, you had a choice. You could have done this. Right. Yeah. It's true. It's a good point. It's a very good one. Yeah, and really what that is is their inability to accept the fact that things happen the way they happen and no other way. It's an inability and to accept the fact that they did not happen that way. And even if something could happen another way, whatever that means, you're still not the one controlling it because yeah. it's impossible for you to, you know. So some people, they point to quantum phenomena and they go, actually, some things could have happened a different way. 
okay, let's say it could have happened a different way. I'll play devil's advocate, even though I, I don't really agree with that either. But even if things could have happened a different way, you certainly are not the one determining or whatever or making that because no one's making that happen. If quantum phenomena makes things happen in this unpredictable way, then you, whatever that means, are certainly not the one controlling the consciousness. We, we, we uh, refute that, you know, um, indeterminism a lot, but we, we should really help the world understand that true randomness, true indeterminism in the sense of things being uncaused is just incoherent. I mean, there's, you know, like, because it, this confuses a lot of people, you know, this quantum misinterpretation of what's going on in the quantum world. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I, George, I agree because I've often considered indeterminism to be complete nonsense. And here, here's one reason why is because if you had completely uncaused events happening, even small particles just totally moving in some direction for no reason, I feel like that would completely dissolve and destroy the brain structure, the internal organs of, of every animal. It, it, I, it'd just be so, I don't think we could live if that were true. Well, to posit something being uncaused is to suggest that there was no universe, no reality before whatever happened happened because like everything that happens is the direct result of the preceding state of the universe. Yeah, that's true, George. And a person's belief in indeterminism is required only if you don't accept the eternal universe. Like, I accept the eternal universe, basically. There was always a reality. There was always something that existed. Um, and those who want to have an actual beginning of all of reality have to throw in a causality in order to even make it make sense. Yeah, I think there's a huge issue with the general public um, and their ignorance of science in that they take results of certain experiments and they make conclusions that the scientists don't. I mean, we talked about this before, but scientists are very careful when they make conclusions based on their findings. Uh, and the public doesn't do this, and they they treat the experiments they they treat the results recklessly, and so they start making up this. Like for instance, we don't know how it translates, and we don't know how the quantum behavior translates. We do in some ways, but in, in in many ways, we don't understand how exactly it translates into our own behaviors and all this stuff. But people will still act like the connection that they want to be there is the actual connection, that quantum mechanics means that we're making choices, despite the fact that scientists don't make these conclusions, and it certainly doesn't logically follow. It doesn't logically mean that. Yeah, I think basically in science, the, the fundamental mistake is that, and actually some scientists actually have made this, this is part of the Copenhagen interpretation of quantum mechanics. You know, some scientists will, will hold that, you know, because we can't, for example, know the rate of decay of radioactive isotope, that somehow, because we don't, we don't see a cause there, it has to be uncaused. Or because we can't predict you know, quantum behavior in a classical way, therefore that behavior must be uncaused. In other words, like, th this is an argument based because we don't know something, you know, it's, it's, it's a-causal. And again, that's, you know, like, the, what, what science has shown us over the last several decades, um, uh, centuries especially is that like my god the science is like 
about knowing today what we simply didn't know yesterday. Yeah, and there is actually a competing theory too that that uh, has come out with with some evidence that um, that we can actually it's it's a more deterministic model for quantum mechanics. Uh, it's it's just recently started to I think like come out or whatever. So, I, but the point is that there are other options out there, and sometimes we're just working with incomplete uh, sets of data. We're working with a limited amount of information. Yeah, you know, here's the deal is that while personally, you know, because of the fact that indeterminism doesn't grant free will, um, you know, it does it doesn't make our case any different necessarily um, as far as the free will thing goes. And yet I really would like some kind of science to come along that conclusively refutes the notion of a causality or the Copenhagen interpretation of quantum mechanics because I feel like so many ignorant people grab onto quantum randomness and then say they have free will, and I'm like, <laughs> it's so disappointing. Yeah, Chandler, I'm not sure we could have an empirical refutation of a causality because they could always claim, well, you know, um, this pro certain process. Because, like, basically, to do that, we would have to like empirically understand the causality to everything. Because, like, if we omitted something, that's where the uh, indeterminism would go. Oh, you didn't consider this. Right. So, yeah, it's the indeterminism of the gaps, basically. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, that's a very good point because the very fact that we can never know the cause of everything. I mean, we, we have to be, to a certain extent, agnostic about whether people in history even existed. Like, you, you, have, to, you have to know books that that are written and believed by billions of people could be wrong, you know? And so yeah. we, we don't even know who existed in history or what really happened in the past versus what was written down. So since we can't know the past, we can't know the cause of everything. And so some people will try to say that random events happened in the past, and yeah, there's no way of actually refuting that, I see. Well, Chandler, there's no way of empirically refuting it. Well, we have to understand that what underlies empiricism in science is logic. So if we could demonstrate logically that claiming something is uncaused is the equivalent of claiming that the universe didn't exist before that something happened, that's a way to logically refute it. You know, because like, again, like the to, to claim that the universe didn't exist before this certain event happens, that's a completely, you know, completely failed illogical argument. Yeah, you know, I, I think that might actually work, George. And he, here's why. Like, because how many people actually, there may be some, but how many people actually believe that absolutely nothing existed? How, how many people do you think would actually see there, there was absolutely nothing and then random popping into existence? Well, I mean, that's what... Uh, um... Lawrence Krauss, actually, he does say that. He says that it came from nothing, but he's defining nothing very specifically. He's defining it what it means quantumly, which is a low-level field, which it has apparently a higher potential for, um, uh, for quantum fluctuation or something. It's something like that, though. It's wrapped up in the jargon of his own definition of nothing. Right, but quite also, like, Krauss is referring to the Big Bang and what became, came before that. Whereas, like, we're, That's what like, we're talking about. Sorry. Press also says there's no such thing 
anything. The kind of Wade is talking about Krauss remarks, most profound remarks in this, you know, idea about a universe from nothingness, is that there is no true nothingness. There is only that quantum definition, which actually is not the nothingness people imagine. When people imagine nothingness, they imagine no matter, no energy whatsoever. He's saying, okay, that doesn't exist, but there is a very simplified state that things can be in and perhaps once were in. So that's a good point. Yeah. So Mitch, what you're saying is that even cross across, um, he states that he's not talking about actual nothingness. He was trying to sell a book. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like many are. Uh, yeah, maybe. Yeah. I, cause I, I, I haven't read that book, but just the title gives the impression that someone believes the universe came from absolute nothing. No. In fact, one point is that there is no such thing as absolute nothing. That's his big point. That's kind of the point. Yeah. There is yeah. absolute nothing. Only way to figure it out is to figure out what caused the Big Bang. <laughs> it's, that, it's, it's, that, it's, it's the imagination of the human mind that's the problem. We have an imagination that tells us there is a such thing as nothing. And what do we think of when we think of nothing? We imagine the color uh, of black. Nothing. Right? Just we see we see blackness. Nothing. Nothing. You know, matter. Yeah. yeah you put a color there, don't you? Basically. Like when people talk about nothing, don't you put a color? You might think black or think white, right? Yeah. Nothing. Right. Non-existence. Exactly. exactly. So already, that's already a problem. You know what I mean? Once you put a color to it, that's not really nothing, is it? Well, yeah. In a, cer- I, in a, in a certain sense, for example, nothing, no thing. That really kind of like describes the pre-Big Bang universe because we have absolutely no idea what it's about. It's not a thing as we know things because, you know, from our understanding, things came into being with the Big Bang. So but so it's a, it's a no-thing reality. Uh, it, it's very interesting because even if a person looks somewhere and says, oh, there's nothing there, I mean, there there's still air or some gas. There's particles that they can't see, and so there's... Yeah, low level energy. There's there. always something there's there, basically. There's a yeah. level of energy. Well, that that works until the Big Bang. You know, before the Big Bang, we have no idea. No, there could have been there could have been low level energy fields up to the point of the Big Bang, just not enough to create matter. Just very. No, I, I know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, there's a lot of theories in terms of what happened before the Big Bang, but I'm saying we have no knowledge of that. We can just like uh-huh. uh, speculate. Right. Yeah. One one key issue is that nobody can observe true nothingness because no people can exist if there's true nothingness. Like if there was no universe, no absolute nothing, then none of us are there, so none of us can observe it, and there wouldn't be evidence of it. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's a scenario I would like you guys to walk through with me. So I was talking to a part, getting back to the original topic, and for any listeners, the topic is about choice. We've segued into some very relevant side discussions about quantum indeterminacy and nothingness. And they're all closely related to choice. But getting back to that, the original issue at hand, because I really want us to all to contribute to this particular uh, exploration. So I was speaking to a free will believer in a bar. And here's, and I think her remarks were indicative of what many free will believers, especially compatibilist free will believers, that is those people who believe determinism and free will can coexist, they're compatible, they don't contradict each other, which makes no sense, by the way, 
Anyway, she says, look, I understand I didn't control my genetics, where I was born, my parents, any of the things that happened to me. But I just ordered a beer. Didn't I use my free will to order this beer? I had a choice to order this beer. So it seems that what the free will believer is saying is that at certain moments when there are thoughts, competing thoughts that pop up in someone's mind, there is this extra part that looks at the thoughts, analyzes the thoughts, and picks the thoughts, and that's free will. Maybe you guys would like to explain why this does not allow for free will whatsoever. Well, one way is like the, the term free will basically uh, connotes conscious will, that we're consciously choosing something. Whereas like, when we recognize that when all the data by which we choose and therefore all the principles by which we choose reside in our unconscious, which is like the, the storage you know, mechanism or, or area of our mind, then we have to conclude that like the, the, every one of our choices is made completely by our unconscious, and then our unconscious just chooses to make us aware of what it has cho chosen. George, so suppose decisions were made in the conscious mind, whatever that means. Even then, would that allow for free will? Well, I mean, the causality, of course not. Exactly. Because the point is, what, what, what she's really saying, what I said is, okay, look, you had the thought, I want, let's say, a blue moon, right? A refreshing beverage, by the way. I'm not advertising oh, blue moon okay. or anything. I'm not a corporate person, but I'm just, <laughs> it's just I, had to, I just wanted to pick an example that people might be aware. Let's say you pick, I don't know. A Yingling, and I'm still light. Uh, I don't know. Pick your favorite beer, whatever. Yeah, I, I since I don't, don't know any of the beers because I don't drink. Yeah. It. yeah, I don't drink that much either, so I wouldn't know. <laughs> I'll take a Guinness. Take a Guinness. <laughs> there you I'll go. take a cooler, maybe. Um. Okay. So. So she had a thought, and the thought was, "I'll take a Guinness," and then she ordered a Guinness. So I told her, look, if you had the thought, I'll take a Heineken, you would have taken a Heineken. So when you're talking about free will, what you're really saying is that where these thoughts originate from, you consciously control them before they even appear in consciousness, which is self-refuting. Yeah. You know, and she had to pause for a second because she obviously had no response to that because there is no response to that because this is how reality works. To choose something is to say, I did what? I had a thought, and I did the thought. That's what that means. Yeah, I get exactly what you're saying, Mitch, because basically they are trying to say that before they had the thought, they looked at the thoughts and then made a choice of which thought they would have at that moment that finalized it. Yeah. Yeah. You have to think your thoughts before you think them, as Sam Harris said. Yeah, he said it very... I, I often quote Harris, or I say statements that are really rephrasing the things that he's... I think most free will skeptics are really just... We're just saying the same thing. We're bringing up the same arguments. The same arguments that Schopenhauer brought up, and Sam Harris brought up, and Bertrand Russell, and Einstein, and Skinner, and Coyne. All these people, they... 
and even our own George Ortega. You know, all these people who, who investigate this issue independently, they come up with ideas and they phrase it a certain way. And you often end up saying something that's already been said before because it is a truth. There's a reason we're stumbling upon uh, these same ideas. So, yeah, so how, does, how can a free will believer, you know, escape that? Do you guys have any ideas? I mean, how can you, how do you deal with, with that easy, that simple, logical refutation? You I only, think, yeah, go ahead, please, yeah, wait. I think the only way they can deal with it is by not dealing with it, by just ignoring it as not important and just because their desire for, for believing that they're in control is so strong, that is why the logic, no matter how powerfully stated, doesn't get to some people. Yeah, it's it's kind of like asking, how do you beat somebody who's checkmated you? Like, yeah, right. uh, and you don't. You can yeah, you can I, pretend I, you can pretend that you you didn't lose. That's the only <laughs> exactly, Wade. That's exactly right. And, and it's very it's very important too to understand that yes, there are some people like that that will never get it. But remember. Because we don't know whether people are too far gone to get the message, because we don't know how well some people will grasp the logical explanation more than others, that's why there's value. Oh, it depends upon how stubborn the person is, too. Well, yeah, that's big more part. stubborn, the more far gone they are. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there are some people who will never admit to anyone, not even themselves, that they are wrong about something. Guy oh, yeah, like, trust me, I know somebody. What happens in politics, like this guy Chris Mooney, he's a science writer, he wrote a book called The Republican Brain that points to a lot of science that, that shows that people don't believe what they believe in politics and in religion and ideology because of the facts, because of logic. Right. There are these kind of like emotional needs, these ideological needs, this conditioning that causes that. So, so essentially, yes, I mean, like, we need to, you know, certainly present the logic of why free will is impossible. But in order to win those people over, we have to, like, make them feel better about understanding that nobody's at free will than, than, um, than they do now. Because like, now that they refuse to it, it, it it's, it's emotional. Yeah, we need to utilize every means necessary. And it makes me think, too, like you were saying, it, Sam Harris believes this and, and Schopenhauer. And there's been a lot of people who have recognized the ridiculousness of the idea of free will. Uh, and it, also, it makes me think, maybe I'm getting into the, the could-have argument, but it makes me wonder why these people didn't use more of their resources to, to really combat this idea at, at more extreme levels. And, and this is why we have started... IFWRO, the International Free Will Refutation Organization. So we yeah. can educate the public, so we can put neat, polished videos on YouTube, on Twitter, on Facebook, so we can support the free will skeptics amongst us who are authors, who are filmmakers, who are artists, so we can really get this message out there. Because although these great intellectuals in the past and in the present might be occupied with other ambitions, this is certainly something at least some of us have considerably more time and energy for. I know or George in particular has dedicated a large amount of his, uh, his life to sort of getting this message out there. And I think this organization 
will only grow, continue to grow in the future. And this is uh, this will be one of the causal factors that lead to uh, the education of society on this topic. But Quaden, and in, in fairness to like you know the, the previous philosophers, it's only relatively recently that we've discovered you know that that people are guided much more by their beliefs and emotions than by facts and logic in a lot of their opinions. In other words, like you know the 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 promise of the age of reason, the age of enlightenment was oh now we're going to start acting reasonably, you know, and unfortunately we're not there yet. Yeah, 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 there's something I wanted to say, too, is that I do believe that a lot of people who knew that free will was nonsense, you know, uh, famous philosophers, people hundreds, even thousands of years ago who understood this, I think they probably did the best they could, but they didn't have the Internet. They didn't have the International Free Will Refutation Organization. They, they didn't have a team of people that they could do massive projects. They agreed, with, um, agreed, on, agreed on the same topic, basically. Yeah, exactly. So when one person figured it out, they were probably sometimes killed. Shut down. Yeah. They oh, were yeah, either yeah. ignored or killed or something, you know, in some way, to, which stopped them. Uh, just about how history was, more likely killed. Yeah, that's and, how and it some goes. of the brutal mass, uh, factions. Or trust me, those torture devices, man. Yeah, so Great. I think that's that's our answer of why they were not very successful in getting the public educated. <laughs> but and we also have to acknowledge, for example, pre-Stoic Greece was on our side. You know, they had words for fate and destiny. They had absolutely no word for free will because they believed that you know, like nothing was up to them. It was up to the gods. Yeah. What happened to them? You got killed <laughs> off, I guess. Who knows? I'm, I'm, just, I'm just messing around. I'm just. I'm, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to blame philosophers or anything. It just. It was a question that I've always had because it seems like, at least as far as I go, and I think a lot of people on here, we're, we seem to be very limited by power and ability. And some of these people had a lot of it. And uh, yeah, again, they, they, not, they, they obviously didn't have a choice. I'm not trying to blame them. It's just one of those things that makes me think, like, why hasn't this thing taken off in bigger ways with somebody who funded something uh, greater? But it's kind of a nonsense question because it didn't happen, obviously. Well, Wade, you know, people have a lot of bad beliefs. Like, I, I don't know how you are about religion. I, I'm an atheist. and I'm an atheist and, as well. Okay, so m many of the people here are, are atheists or even George. There's no one here who has very traditional religious beliefs. But yeah. despite that, the vast majority of the world believes in the god of abraham yeah so you know so you know if, if they can't even overcome that something that's full of if they can't even overcome these belief systems yeah. that are based on ancient texts that are rife with contradictions and anti-scientific claims how can yeah. we expect them to get over you know the free will issue you know so yeah that's what i was that's kind of one of my points of bringing it up is like if you like look at look at like Schopenhauer like Schopenhauer if you read some of his writings he had very sexist uh, writings in a lot of circumstances he was very um, he had a very negative mindset towards women and so it makes me think you know when we're talking about this thing that even within the group of people who uh, did not or are skeptical of free will 
they're skeptic they have been skeptical about it on different grounds or for different reasons um, because it's and now I, I don't want to say that the fact that uh, you know he he believed that women weren't as great as men had anything to do with his belief in free will but it seems like if he was more sympathetic and he recognized that people really weren't uh, the arbiter of their choices or you know people didn't make choices that he would have been less he would have been less aggressive towards right. women yeah that, right, right. I think that's important is that a person can hold conflicting beliefs and uh, the way racism and sexism and speciesism happens it, it is contrary to the understanding that nobody chooses what they are you know and so it's sort of like it's, this person got it but they didn't uh, incorporate it to the rest of their beliefs right yeah let me let me ask you guys a question okay um we're walking along in the dark careless about where we walk and we stub our toe as a result that's kind of like our being punished by the way things are for carelessness or we're doing things right whatever you know like and you know we're being very careful and we're, we're rewarded by you know, obtaining our goal. So the question is, like, theology aside, is there some kind of, like, a universal reward punishment system? And we were just talking about, like, animals and stuff. So in other words, like, you know, regardless of whether we have free will or not, are we rewarded and punished, you know, according to our acts by this natural, these, these natural laws of nature? Are you talking about karma? Well, no, no, for example, a carelessness. We're walking along, right, not watching where we're going, and we're punished by stubbing our toe or by falling in the creek, whatever, you know? So, like, carelessness is an example of kind of, like, immorality. I mean, and so, like, we can also point to certain times where we do something good, where things turn out the way we want to because we're thinking clearly. We're wait, not... wait, wait. What, what about the situation when you do something bad and you get rewarded? How about yeah. the greedy person? The person who is exactly. stomps on people his entire life, does horrible things, and just good stuff happens, and then he dies on a pillow of, he dies on a mattress full of money, surrounded by a bunch of drugs. Yeah, I like that poor person. Who was yeah, there. there is punish. Yeah, They're like yeah. That poor person. I, I, I have to get punished. Yeah. All I, right. I, let me let me ask. Let me answer that. I Basically, to... in terms of reward and punishment, we are fundamentally. Um, beings that seek pleasure and avoid pain and happiness is our fundamental reward. So in other words, yeah, a person made like like Howard Hughes, ton of money, extremely unhappy. So in other words, like we can't we can't um kind of like extend that a person has certain kinds of advantages to to the conclusion that they're being rewarded. You know, because a lot of these people, you know, they, you know, for example, like um third almost forty percent of the people on Forbes list of wealthiest Americans are less happy than the average American. Their average American is only 70% happy. So, so again, we can't really like conclude from certain quote-unquote advantages that they're not actually being... Well, George, you can't conclude that by stubbing my toe, I'm unhappy either. Maybe no, no, by well, stubbing my toe, I got happy. No, no, <laughs> no. If I stub my toe, I am going to be happy. What I'm saying is that we are fundamentally hedonic creatures. Yes, if, if we stub our toe, that is punishment by, you know, for being careless. Pain is punishment. It's not, you know, it's about, it's most fundamentally about pleasure and pain, not necessarily <laughs> happiness and unhappiness. 
for, for me, though, there's a the problem with this, though, is like when I imagine those two people, one who is not careless and one who is careless, it's under the presupposition that it's an even playing field. When in reality, someone could be acting like a complete fool, dancing around a dark room, never exactly. stub his I could be paying perfect attention, and then something juts up in front of me too quick for me to recognize, and I stub my toe. And that's the way the universe works in some circumstances. Right, and Quaid, I mean, I can, we can go even further to, to say that, well, it's completely unfair to have a person be careless, when, you know, for whatever explanation, when it's not really up to the person, you know, and then be punished. So, so yeah, it's unfair. Like yeah, this. I think we can agree that the universe is unfair in its rewarding and punishing. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Oh, yes, I, it is. I, I, yeah, and guys, I hate to cut this short, but it is my bedtime, and so I really need to end this this recording. But this has been a great talk. Nice. Can I you can I say got. one uh, last remark? There's one last thing I wanted to say. All right. So imagine, yeah. like, you think you're your own mother, and everyone thinks that. Everyone thinks, I am my own mother. I gave birth to myself. Now, that doesn't make any sense, right? How could you possibly give birth to yourself? <laughs> No, no, but there's no way that could the be true. Hell? Right? <laughs> yeah, well, listen, does it matter kind of universe you live in? It doesn't matter if reality is deterministic or indeterministic. It doesn't matter. You can't give birth to yourself, right? <laughs> it, it, it violates the conservation laws. It violates matter and energy. It violates time space. No matter what theory of time and space you, you subscribe to, it just it, doesn't make any sense. It's completely incoherent. This is the world we live in. People <laughs> erroneously believe they consciously control their thoughts. That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. I agree, Mitch. Mitch is right again. Seriously, that's one of the greatest examples of how insane belief in free will really is. Belief that you are the cause of yourself, your thoughts, desires, choices, whatever. Um, so I think that's a good note to end on. Are you guys okay with that? Yeah. Yeah, sure. All right. You've been listening to Free Will, Science, and Religion, and we started out talking about the word choice, but we got a, a little bit sidetracked on the indeterminism and stuff, but it was all good talk and I think very educational. So I hope you've enjoyed, and we'll be back for more episodes. Thank you for listening, and goodbye. <laughs>